This week on the Iowa Watch Connection. I think good journalism still can stand out. It's just that we're in an atmosphere where you can draw attention to yourself for not doing news, but still calling it news. Evaluating sources of news is not as easy as it used to be. A lot of it is good critical reading skills. How is the information being attributed to whom? Engagement by the audience is a key. When we teach people to gauge and read media, we need to get them to transfer that rationality that they use in everyday life to the consumption of news and information. Separating real news from fake news. Our topic this week. The Iowa Watch Connection is presented by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism. Online at iowawatch.org. Here is Jeff Stein. Journalists, frankly, are a bit concerned. Their profession has taken some lumps of late, from being called out by the leader of the free world for disseminating fake news to the highest-rated voice on cable television being forced from the air due to workplace harassment claims. Add to that the fact that we have access to more sources of information than ever from more distinct and different platforms than ever, and the fact that those in traditional media forms no longer hold a monopoly on information dissemination, thanks to social media platforms and the ability of any individual to reach untold masses of other individuals literally from the palm of their hand, virtually anywhere and anytime. If you're a regular listener to this program, you know that we take the craft of journalism seriously, and we have concerns about its present and future. During a recent visit to the Adler Journalism Building on the campus of the University of Iowa, I was able to talk about separating real news from fake news and how audiences evaluate information with three people who have practiced, studied, and taught journalism for decades. Two of them are familiar voices to you. Lyle Muller is the executive director and editor of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, iowawatch.org, which brings you this program each week. Stephen Barry is the founder of the center and a Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter in his own right. But my first question in our conversation went to David Reif, professor and director of the University of Iowa School of Journalism and Mass Communication, who has studied and written extensively on the topic of political communication. Biggest challenge in today's media landscape for the public to be accurately informed is what? The wide variety of people who produce news, and only some of them are journalists. And so trying to figure out who a journalist is and, and, and who a journalist isn't. Um, journalists haven't helped themselves in making that distinction these days um, by, doing, by engaging in several different kinds of activities. One of them is uh, the, the daily news is much more interpretive than it once was. There are fewer sources in the daily news. Um, and the journalist is much more visible in conveying their own views of what's happening in the news. And so that makes journalism look more like um, any other kind of um, news production that might take place by people who aren't um, journalists. Um, the other thing that journalists are doing that I think is even perhaps more dangerous is branded content. Um, branded content is a kind of advertising, and they've had advertising for a long time, um, the difference is the advertisers want to leverage the symbolic capital of journalism um, in the advertisement. So we have actual reporters producing ads that have the look and feel of a news story. 
Um, and the advertisers are insistent, from my understanding, is that it have the look and feel of a news story because they want readers to come at that um, object um, through the lens of news rather than through the lens of advertising. They look at it differently if it's an ad. There's um, a credibility issue that they, yeah, they don't think someone is selling them something yeah. when it's news, of course. So one way of saying it is that the journalists are selling their credibility to advertisers. And it, that also blurs the line between news and other kinds of content that might be produced. Um, and then, of course, there's just been an explosion of news producers and news outlets. Um, there's just many more people producing news, and only a few of them are journalists. So that's the major challenge is in this environment, in an information-saturated environment, how do you... How do you tell the difference? Steve, when you were a newspaper reporter, you had to worry about writing your newspaper story. And you were somewhat anonymous because you had a byline, but you didn't have to interact with the audience on Facebook and Twitter and write a blog and all of this. What does that do to the process for a reporter? In other words, if now we are expecting, as we apparently are, that you become a personality, in addition to simply the reporter. How does that change the process, and is it, for better or worse, for the public? The initiation of all of these different avenues of, um, of reporting the news through Twitter, blogs, and so on and so forth, there's, there's many good things about that. You reach more people. But at the same time, it, to me, uh, it would hamper my ability to report and gather the news as, as effectively and as accurately and as thoroughly as I could. If, for example, I had to worry about blogging or even live tweeting, beforehand I'd be using that time to think of better questions to ask. I'd be using that time to buttonhole a politician or a city council meeting after a city council member after a city council meeting to ask follow-up questions. Uh, I would be getting ideas for follow-up stories for the very subject that I'm tweeting about. Instead of worrying about tweeting and worrying about all of these other additional chores, it, it, uh, I would be able to focus on trying to figure out what it is my readers really need to know and, and pursuing that information. So uh, I guess it would also, I guess it would matter though, if I was a journalist today and out in that world, Journalists are, are remarkably um, uh, creative people. They learn how to deal with that. Many of them, for example, have decided tweeting is going to be their note-taking. They're basically typing out their notes, which is good. But the danger of that is that when I'm taking notes, I find out after I've taken that note, 10 minutes later I hear something different that makes that original tweet inaccurate. So notes are exactly what they're supposed to be, notes, not for publication. So I think it's dangerous to even have that mentality where you're tweeting out your notes. I, I, I would never be comfortable doing that. I don't like to publish something in my notebook until I've verified it and checked it. Do you think you could have been as effective and successful a reporter with all that you deal with now? In other words, and again, if you were native to that generation and used to it, I mean, I think all of us around this table started with typewriters, and so we've all evolved in our own ways. Right. Do you think you could have been as effective a journalist if you had all the rest of this to deal with? I, I don't know. I believe I could have been an effective journalist, but I, I feel like my, my success 
to whatever extent people consider what I've done as a success, I attribute to the quality of my reporting, to the accuracy that, that, um, that I um, uh, obsessed over. And the more responsibilities you have, the more tasks you try to accomplish, you're more prone to make mistakes. You're more prone to make assumptions that very frequently turn out to be dead wrong. And that's one of the first rules of journalism. Never assume anything. And um, so I, I, I think I would have done okay. I would have adjusted. We're, we're a resilient uh, group of people. We figure out how to get around problems and to deal with obstacles. And I would have been, I would have done that. I did, you know, in, in my generation, we have undergone quite a bit of technological change over the years. And, and it's changing even now. And here I am in retirement. And I've come back for this short stint. And I'm learning some new technology even here while I'm here during this short period of time. So we do. We, we change and we adjust. Lyle, many people know your work from print, but as we've pointed out on this program, you did radio, you did television. Those of us in radio and television haven't had the anonymity of a newspaper byline, so there would be times people know you in the community from your face, from television. Is it that much different now, or is it now all morphed to where it used to be a TV journalist would show up and they can sometimes become the story? especially a national figure who comes to a local story. Because now our faces and our names, our brands all over the place, are we now too close to being parts of the story? Well, I think we're part of the story, and you see that happening in White House briefings when reporters are called out by name and all of a sudden become part of the story. You know, there are so many voices and faces out there now that I don't know that one stands out unless it's an exceptional personality. So in Iowa, if you take a look at it, a lot of reporters might show up at things and people get excited about the television reporters because they saw them. But the stories that they might be talking about the next morning in the coffee shop are stories that were in newspapers, which by the way, they read online or heard on the radio or heard on television. So. The craft still becomes the same, and I think that doing good journalism is still going to stand out. And, and when I was at uh, working in newspaper jobs, if I did have a good story, people who I knew knew that it was me, and then that built my reputation with sources and built reputation with readers of uh, the newspaper, for example, without my face being shown out there. So I think good journalism still can stand out. It's just that we're in an atmosphere where you can draw attention to yourself for not doing news, but still calling it news. Uh, I, I think of the model that we have with nighttime television, with CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News, where you have personalities. And some of those personalities say, we're not news, even though there's a cube in the corner that says it's news, and whatever they says is reported as news uh, by that outlet, uh, whatever it might be. So. Uh, yeah, there's just a lot of din out there that we have to sift through, I think. Coming up, the conversation continues with an eye toward helping you better distill all this information down for the sake of accuracy. That's next as the Iowa Watch Connection continues.
Support for the Iowa Watch Connection comes from the Iowa Insurance Division's Iowa Fraud Fighters Program. This statewide initiative educates Iowans on how to double check before they invest and shield their savings from scammers. Thousands of Iowans have attended fraud fighter forums across the state to learn about new scams circulating in their area and how to stay a step ahead of fraudsters. Learn how to fight fraud and why it is important to report scams at iowafraudfighters.gov. The Iowa Watch Connection radio program is part of a statewide audience engagement project organized by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, an independent, nonprofit, nonpartisan news organization. The center is dedicated to producing high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism in Iowa, while also training journalism students to do this work at a high ethical level. The center is found online at iowawatch.org. Welcome back to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein. We continue our conversation about evaluating news content now with Lyle Muller, Executive Director and Editor of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, Stephen Berry, Founder of the Center, and David Reif, Professor and Director of the University of Iowa School of Journalism and Mass Communication. David, it's a culture of personality. People are famous simply for being famous. What is a serious news consumer to do to filter through the din or the noise or drinking from a fire hose or whatever analogy you want to draw to actually get the information they need for self-governance? You know, it's interesting. My son is in a freshman in high school and he's taking an entry-level journalism class and he's learning how to do exactly that in the first instance. The teacher is taking them through how do you judge a news story? And I was interested what to learn. What did they say? Well, you know, a lot of it is good critical reading skills, just basic critical reading skills. When you look at a news story, um, how was the information being attributed to whom? And who was that individual who apparently gave this reporter that information? Um, that's a basic building block of verifying any information from any source if it's a news story or an academic article, where did they get that evidence? Um, a lot of it has to do, in my mind, with um, trust in institutions. Um, because so much of the information that's provided out there is institutional. Um, and as an example, I just um, saw a really interesting um, interview between Scott Pelley, the anchor of CBS News, um, and one of these um, producers of news on the far right who basically hounded Hillary Clinton all through the campaign with um, stories that turned out not to be true. So one of the stories this individual peddled was that Hillary Clinton had a seizure on the tarmac um, at an airport when she just had pneumonia and was sick. And so Scott Pelley said to the individual, well, you know this was wrong, right? That what you reported was wrong. And, and the individual said, well, who told you that? And Scott Pelley, and, and it really shocked him. You could see Scott Pelley's reaction shocked him. And he said, um, well, the, the Clinton campaign said that she did not have a seizure. And the individual said, I would never trust anything that the Clinton campaign said. 
And if you get into an environment with, where our major institutions, where people come at our major institutions and say, I would never trust whatever that institution said, it's not an information problem, it's an institutional problem. It's a problem of the relationship between um, citizens and their major governing institutions. So um, I think that that relationship needs to be repaired a little bit. Um, and that has to take place between leaders in those institutions and citizens. Lyle, we now have so many more choices than we ever did. Last I checked, we still only have 24 hours per person per day. So should we be shocked that people gravitate toward quote-unquote news organizations, or let's just say sources of information, that squares with their worldview as opposed to challenging themselves by sampling something that they might disagree with philosophically? No, probably not, because we're all creatures of habit. And we also, uh, as people, gravitate to the things that interest us. And things that interest us when we have a small amount of time are the stuff we want to know right away. And that would be uh, things that uh, affect the quality of our life, things that are our hobbies, or things that we can have an emotional attachment to. And nothing beats an emotional attachment than uh, something you uh, agree with, unless it's something you disagree with. And of course, there's that as well. You know, what, what we haven't talked about is the fact that a lot of people do consume news and information with which they disagree. It's just they don't believe it. And it's because it doesn't fit that belief, attitude, and value that they have. So Steve, how do we address what Lyle just mentioned? If you have people consuming, but they're doing it, in essence, in spite of the source, how do we, as an industry, help serve the public? Well, I've been thinking about that, and I think, it, I think the industry, our industry, can help do that. But I also think uh, the educational system, and that came to mind when David was talking about, about his high school son taking this journalism course. Um, and, and I can't help but think that the public is more rational and more, has more ability to, to evaluate information beyond their own prejudices. And I say that not from any, some any uh, naive viewpoint here. I say that because people do that every day. They put aside their prejudices every day when they make life decisions about whether or not to buy this very expensive convertible that I, is so beautiful that I'd love to have in my driveway. But my budget says, you know what, I better get a cheaper car. So the public, the people are rational human beings and they apply that rationality every day to life's decisions. And I think in our classrooms, when we teach people to gauge and read media, any kind of media, we, start need, we need to get them to transfer that rationality and practicality that they use in everyday life to the consumption of news and information. And, and one of the cardinal rules I always taught in my classes is, the, is that journalists, first and foremost, have to understand what their prejudice is. They have to know, what is it I would really like to hear? And then, what am I really hearing? Here's what I want to hear. Here's what my values and my belief system says I should hear. But am I really hearing that? 
So we make those decisions kind of in, in real life. We just need to start teaching people you need to use that same kind of common sense and rationality when you're reading the news. We have just a moment left, so David, I will ask you, and it may be a chicken or egg question. You talked about institutions. If I think about our political institutions, they certainly are at odds. They don't trust each other. So is what the citizenry is feeling a reflection of that reality, perhaps through journalism? Or is journalism aiding that distrust? It, it, it certainly hasn't helped that journalism has become a talking point of one of the major political parties. Um, for the last 50 years, journalism's been a way that the Republican Party, and particularly the more conservative elements in the Republican Party, can rally their base. Um, you go to any of their rallies, it's very easy to get them emotional, and that's to talk about the New York Times. And so if people are conditioned to think about mainstream media in that way, not just over five years, but at this point for 50 years, um, I really think we have a crisis of leadership and not only a crisis in our educational system or a crisis in the ability of individuals to process information. You know, we've known for a long time that individuals um, can be more and less rational, um, being put into different kinds of situations. Recognizing that we built institutions to move them towards their better virtues. Um, And our institutions are not helping these days do that, including our political institutions. To be continued. Gentlemen, thank you for your thoughts and your time. Thank you. Thank you. Lyle Muller, Executive Director and Editor of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism. Stephen Berry, founder of the center and retired University of Iowa journalism professor. And David Reif, professor and director of the University of Iowa School of Journalism and Mass Communication. We spoke in the studios of Daily Iowan TV in late March of this year. And that brings us to the close of this week's program, which is the 157th in this series. Now that may seem an odd thing to note, except that it means this is the beginning of our fourth year on the air with this weekly radio program, We are grateful for the opportunity to bring this sort of investigative and educational journalism to you each week. Thanks go to our underwriters and donors. Thanks to each of the 20 radio stations which make time in their schedules to air the program. Most of all, thanks to you for listening. We're back again next week at this same time. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks for joining us. And we hope you'll make the Iowa Watch Connection again next week. The Iowa Watch Connection is a copyrighted presentation of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, which is solely responsible for its content. For more information about the center, including how you can contribute so high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism and student training can continue, go online, iowawatch.org.